says, get that India, big boy. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Tip Sheet Podcast. As always, I'm your host, John, also known as 4020. And this week, it's a bit of a Saturday morning NRL news and Rugby League World Cup podcast. So let's get into it. News team, assemble! Steaming onto the field like he's back in the under-15s park football on a Saturday morning. He's my good mate, 60s. How you doing, big fella? Mate, ready to hit it up. Bumpers up. Uh, <laughs> we've got uh, Spiro's been doing the midnight to dawn shift on 2GB. So, unfortunately, his uh, commitments have precluded him from joining us again this week. But we'll... We'll we'll push on, mate. We'll you know sometimes when your star player's missing, you just gotta you just gotta um, muscle up yourself and uh, be ready for the hits. <laughs> and uh, it's a good episode for him to miss too, because there isn't that much to talk about in the World Rugby League this week. Obviously, some big time World Cup results and games to review preview, but in terms of news and drama, it is by far the tamest week we've had in a long, long time. Yeah, well, uh, we got a bit. We'll have a bit of a chat about with uh, Parramatta from my observations this week. Uh, the training report went up earlier this morning, so anyone listening to this, if you haven't already seen the training uh, this week's training report, I've got it up there now. But uh, a little bit to talk about around uh, the periphery of that. So, um, yeah, stick with us. Let's get into the World Cup results then. Sixties, the uh, men. They've had their semifinals and they're, now they're rounding into the grand final while the women are in the same boat. But the wheelchair rugby championship has been decided. So we've got all those games to review and then preview. We'll start with the men in the semifinals. There was the Anzac fixture to lead them off, Australia v New Zealand. And despite having what I would say was the better of it for most of this game, New Zealand falls just short due to a momentary lapse on their trial line, 16-14 to 14, in favour of the Australians. Adokar, Holmes and that crucial Cam Murray sort of barge over try from right in front of the sticks off that tap restart being the difference. Jerome Hughes and Dylan Brown, the two halves combining for the two four-pointers for the Kiwis. Uh, goal kickers Cleary two from three, Rapana two from two. Jordan also adding a penalty goal to the mix there. This was not as good a game as you would have thought on paper. Sixties. This was a bit scrappy. Uh, both teams seem to have been tapering off towards the back end of the tournament, if, if anything. Their best play came earlier, and now they're sort of in the grind. But, man, the Kiwis got to rue this one because I thought they were the better team there. I'm on the same uh, ship as you there, mate. I thought the Kiwis were the better team. It was a disappointing for them soft try that Australia was able to score that uh, turned out to be the crucial try. Maybe also a bit of a tough call on the offside in the that, kick chase. I was chatting this with my brother. That one is almost a coin toss because I've seen that being ruled. The guy was not interfering. I didn't make a difference on the play uh, for in terms of being inside the ten, and the actual offside itself wasn't you know the most egregious in terms of uh, the both feet back. So kind of kind of line ball there. Uh, but in saying that, you know if they sort of sharpen up their goal on defense for that one play. 
they'd arguably be sitting in the grand final right now, ready to take on uh, the winner of the Samoa England game. Yeah, and I think it was a, a real shock to the system for the Aussies, maybe what they needed to sharpen them up for the match against Samoa. Look, I do expect the Australians to probably account comfortably for Samoa. Uh, that might seem a bit strange to say that because of the, the way that Samoa were able to dispose of England. But I think that England really didn't... I, I don't know if they showed the respect to Samoa that Samoa deserved. And I think right from the start, Samoa caught um, England on the back foot and... English just never got into their groove. I, I just don't think they were mentally prepared enough. And so I think that that loss, uh, that that scraping home win that Australia had over New Zealand might be something that maybe Samoa ruse in terms of in terms of what sort of Australian team they face. Because I think if Australia had it more comfortably accounted for New Zealand... Um, maybe they might have gone into the match against Samoa, you know, with almost a, a similar attitude to England. Um, now I think they'll be razor sharp for Samoa. Yeah, I mean, for the, the Aussies, there's been a lot of conversation about that halves pairing of Munster and Cleary. It is not firing. There's been talk about bringing back DCE potentially for the final, but uh, I think that they've named the team list, and it's always hard to actually pass these team lists and get the information out of it because the the stupid number system they've got in place. Uh, they, oh my God, Reagan Campbell guards at 5-8 still. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Daily Cherry Evans is in the team there, uh, and Cleary's in the team as well. So they've still got the flexibility to make that change. I don't know if they will, 60s. I think they're trying to, I mean, DCE, this would be essentially his last tournament, and they're trying to move into the future of Cleary. Um, and... We've spoken about Cleary's struggles around football before. He's had you know the occasional good game, but hasn't been able to consistently dominate the way he does in club football. And it is fascinating to see those struggles sort of carry through out of state of origin into the international arena. But do you think they'll go with uh, Munster and Cleary in the final? Yeah, I think they'll go with Munster mm-hmm. and Cleary because he is the future. It's probably a case of, uh, and I think you use the right terminology there when you say that Cleary hasn't dominated at rep level footy certainly not the way that he completely dominates at club level and, and even high level uh, club games like he, he does well in those one in those environments but on the rep scene he just hasn't been able to extrapolate those same sort of performances yeah I think I think there's look it was fair to say that in his early rep career that he was a long way from being impressive. I think he's looked solid without, as you said, dominating in this. I still think that they would see him as the future of um, the future halfback going forward. So I don't think they're about to change things now. And look, I think it's I think it's fair to be said as well that. Um, DCE's had his own critics about yeah. his representative form anyway. So, you know, six of one, half a dozen of the other. When it, and, and in that case, you're banking on the future, aren't you? The guy that's got that's the, the ability to grow and become the mainstay down the road. So, 
Yeah, for Australia, that's the biggest quandary facing them heading into this final. You already mentioned the other results, 60s. Uh, perhaps the biggest upset of the tournament, although there were some plucky efforts from those underdogs as we covered in prior podcasts. But perhaps the most significant result for International Rugby League, uh, even more so than the Tongan uh, Four Nations sort of uh, grand final result there, uh, the fact that Samoa becomes the first non, what, what was it, non-Australia, England, New Zealand, France team to make a Rugby League World Cup final ever, uh, I yeah. believe. Uh, so the first Pacifica team to storm their way into it. They did it on the back of that revenge game against England. 27-26 to 26 they won after being absolutely hammered in the opening round by the same team. Was it 60-6? to six? 60s? A lot of sixes in there? Yeah, well, it was... I can't remember the exact details. It was six, the England hit the sixty, and it was that really late uh, flood of points. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, and uh, in this game, uh, Elliot Whitehead, John Bateman, and a Herbie Farnworth double. I thought Herbie was probably the pick of the palms there, uh, but on the other side, you talk about centre starring a Tim Laffey double. He absolutely torched the English right edge for that double. Liggy South, Stephen Crichton also scoring a double. Uh, goal kicking favoured the Poms four from four for Tommy Markinson. Uh, Critter Crichton only going three from five, uh, with Markinson also adding a penalty goal. But the Crichton field goal uh, off his second attempt mean the crucial, crucial difference there in extra point, golden point. Uh, was it golden point? Uh, yes. Yeah, in golden point there. Uh, absolutely huge effort from the Samoans. They, they weren't, you know, perfect by any means, but they were quite aggressive taking their chances. There was a try to Crichton that featured uh, a bold run by uh, the 5'8". Oh, my goodness. I'm having a drone Luai. That's the one. Who then finds Junior Barlow, who throws one of the most ridiculous offloads you'll see. Uh, <laughs> as, like, literally millimetres off the ground. I don't even know how he got it away uh, to find uh, Luai again to get it out to Crichton for the try. Yeah, huge, huge effort for Samoa. What a turnaround from the start of the tournament where we, alongside a lot of people, were throwing accusations. And I say throwing. Uh, it was a continuation of the last World Cup. It felt like to us as outsiders about not taking it seriously, not coming in prepared, not looking to win the tough games. And good Lord, they take that lesson to heart from that loss to England because they have been very, very good ever since in the, in the World Cup, sorry, and that has culminated in getting through to their maiden World Cup grand final. Yeah, it's uh, look. There's been a lot of uh, debate on the back of that about their their status as a tier two versus a tier one nation. I, I don't really want to get too much back back into, into the origin that. origin talk that comes with it as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All all that sort of stuff. Um, just just on uh, you mentioned Tim Laffey, mate. It was what 2021. And Tim Laffey was on the tools and mm-hmm. Parramatta threw him a lifeline to have a bit of a runaround uh, in New South Wales Cup level footy. And I can't remember whether he played one game or two games or three. It wasn't too many. It was in like the but, first month. And then, yeah, be... yeah, and he was like a, a, an absolute light of better days just in the the brief showing that he had at that level. And, and I thought to myself, well... I don't think he's going to earn himself an NRL deal out of out of these performances. Then he just disappeared. And lo and behold, he went over to England with the Super League, has resurrected his career over there. Now, I'm not sure that he's got what it takes to have a, a, a late career um, appearance in the NRL. I doubt it. But 
just what he's been able to produce in the World yeah, Cup. Yeah, just be a game winner in a World Cup semi final against one of the tournament favourites. Absolutely insane. Yeah. So now, how how much does that uh, semi final speak to the mindset of the Samoans versus the mindset of the English team? As I mm-hmm. touched on before, I I believe that that big win that England had over Samoa in the first round of the pool matches, I think it had them not respecting Samoa yeah. in that semi-final. I, I think you might be on the money there. And you, obviously, as players and as a team, you don't want to disrespect your opposition and take them lightly. But when you thump them in that sort of manner, literally like a week and a half ago, you know, the, there's just like a latent mental sort of block that gets put up, isn't there? And, you know, they... Yeah, I, I don't think they approach this game with the right mindset. With the, if anything, it's almost like the complete one eighty of how we we criticised Samoa for that game against England in round one of the World Cup. The same criticisms apply to to uh, England now. You know, they weren't chasing the collisions. They weren't physical. They weren't aggressive. You know, they they got shaken up uh, very easily. And yeah, lo and behold, the the Samoans prevail. Yeah, and how good was it to see? And and this is courtesy of our good mate Uncle Roasty, the NRL <laughs> Roast. Uh, we've, we've had The Rock get involved in uh, sending out his best wishes to the Samoan team and thereby putting the NRL World Cup on a little bit of a higher platform in terms of its uh, status with who's aware of it going on now. And it's not just, so, it's not just Dwayne The Rock Johnson as well. Uh, the Miami Dolphins QB, who uh, is having a very, very good year and is a sort of a dark horse MVP candidate in the NFL, Tua Tunga Valoa, has also given uh, the Samoans a shout-out on his Twitter. So some uh, some big presences in America take notice. Maybe the – I know that the game's perpetually been chasing the American uh, sort of market for a long, long, long time. Maybe this is like the, the little in now for a couple of the big celebrities and sporting presences – uh, sort of making their support known. Well, I'm sure it's going to get more eyes on it as a result, you know, whether that's a significant boost in, in terms of those numbers. But it, it, I think there's little doubt that they'll get a few more people tuning in just out of interest just to see what's going on with this game. What is this with uh, a Samoan team in a, a, a world sport final? Yeah, I'm sure there's going to be... Uh, an increase in interest. And you know what? That That's just a good thing, even if it's just getting some sort of brand recognition out there for the game of rugby league. That's not a bad thing. You know, it's, it's what you'd want out of a tournament like this because I think that that message that... Uh, I think there's been an overall message of goodwill that's come about out of this World Cup. You know, this they've had that that inclusiveness theme that's been running there about rugby league being a game for everyone. But you know, there's really been, I think, a feel good atmosphere about it, and it's. I think the players have done a great job in that regard, and uh, I there's an aspect of it where I think. I would have liked the Australian media to have picked up on it a little bit more. I, I know that the time difference has been awkward in terms of promoting it, but 
it's it's just been a shame that uh, it hasn't been out there on the uh, free to wear. Yes, on, on, yeah, the... on television. So uh, you know, I'm I'm not making a complaint about Fox's um, coverage, their their side of things. Um, I think there's maybe been a few things that we could take issue with in terms of home broadcaster arrangements over there, uh, like with the standard of, of that. But um, in terms of what Fox has been provided, it's it been providing, it's been great, you know, uh, shout out to all those, the commentators and uh, for their, um, and, you know, the experts that have been in there in the early hours of the morning, um, some strange hours that they've been keep uh, keeping to um, add their uh, uh, pre-match half-time and post-match opinions. But, yeah, I think it's been a real feel-good tournament. So uh -huh. I, I I have been watching it. I've been watching a certain amount live. I've been uh, watching a, a certain amount um, either recorded or streamed a bit later when it's been a bit easier to watch. I would say that I've watched – I don't know that there's been a – a match that I haven't watched, to be honest, in at, at some level or another. Some it might have been, um, like fast forwarding through certain parts of the play. Yeah. Um, but all the every every match I think has offered something of interest uh, to me as a rugby league fan. So I've and so I and I'm I'm including the. Uh, the the men's games and the women's games in terms of watching every game, and I've watched the highlights of the wheelchair matches mm -hmm. as well. So yeah, been been thoroughly enjoyable, mate. Uh, just wrapping up this game, Samoa v England. Before we preview the final sixties, uh, Junior continues to find himself in the firing line of some really really uh, borderline officiating. He got put in a sin bin, which I thought was, I wouldn't say okay. It was for a lifting tackle. It never had, it literally had no drive. They stopped before it could ever drive. And he got put in a sim bin and then had to go to face the judiciary, no charge, thankfully. But then he got, uh, he gave away a penalty. I say he gave away late in the game where he attacked the kicker with the lightest push you'll ever see. Uh, and they managed to march him downfield to the spot of the ball for that penalty. So, and that was an Australian ref too, I think. So that wasn't even like it was a, a difference of interpretations due to being in, in, the, in the Super League or the NRL. So that was a bit rough there. But uh, Yeah, look, I thought it was a bit rough. And um, and you know what? It had, it had been so rough, so, you know, so um, soft have some of the penalties been that it wouldn't have surprised me if they'd have sent him to the city yeah, for, for that push. Exactly, exactly. And uh, a little feather in Junior's cap on the back of making the uh, Rugby League World Cup Grand Final 60s he becomes the ultra Iron Man among NRL players. I think he's been crowned uh, the most capped player in the 2022 season. So kind of crazy for a prop that plays close to 50 minutes a game at high, such a high physical level like Junior to play that many games, but a credit and a testament to the big man and his fitness levels. Yeah, it's – look, he's had, he's had a great year, uh, and I think arguably too so is uh, Reg. Yeah, and, and it's, it's fitting that the two Bruce brothers meet – in the final, uh, Australia v Samoa 60s. Uh, obviously, we, we spoke about in the in the previous for the semis that there were you know favourites in both team in both games for those ones. But Australia going to be almost unbackable favourites in this game. But geez, what a fairy tale it would be if England can uh, England if Samoa can 
pull off one more upset victory? Well, it it would be, I think, one of the the greatest long shot victories in world sport. When really, when it comes down to it, because what are they? Seven dollar outsiders or something like that? Only only six fifty on the sports bet line. Surprisingly, uh, so they put come in, in. Put, put in a bit <laughs> of. I don't know whether that's the money talking, and it's coming the way of Samoa, so they've got to shorten the odds, or if they're putting a little bit of respect on uh, Toa Samoa after that upset over England. Yeah, look, it could be, and and look, respect to Samoa. I, but I still see the Australian team winning this. You know, I hate to use the word comfortably mm. when you want when you want a contest, and I think it will be tight for a period of time. But I, I just think ultimately that the Australian teams are going to be far too strong. And uh, I'll, you talked about how it's been a feel-good tournament 60s. There was a little bit of a, a smudge on it out of that Samoa-England game with uh, pre- and post-shenanigans afoot. Uh, there was rumours or talk of English players doing the old knock-and-run or, or knock-and-dash because they were in the same hotel as the Samoans. I don't know how substantiated that was. That's a Fox Sports rumour. Uh, uh, we talked about under-15s, park footy 60s to lead into this podcast and that's that's what used to happen on the rep camps you'd knock on doors and dash and be an absolute goose so i don't know how founded they are but that's a bit how you're doing but then in the fallout of the game uh victor radley again finds himself in the headlines after getting into a fracas with uh well i say teammate but squad mate because he don't think he played uh james bentley who was apparently upset at english coach sean wayne for not picking him and so radley and uh, bentley went at it and i think there's talk that the liverpool kiss might have been invoked by radley yeah, look, that's that's crazy stuff. And I mean, if the if that silly childish sort of behaviour that you mentioned is has any truth to it, well, <laughs> then it's easy to understand where the heads. Yeah, that that literally plays the into the result, doesn't it? Sixties and your talk oh. about not approaching this game with the right professional mindset. Yeah, and uh, and as for Radley, well, do you know what? I think he's probably a player who earns a lot of respect from the media. And I don't know that he always backs that up with the way that he conducts himself. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think I think he's even got a soft run with this action as well, the, you know, the response to it from the media. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> it, it's you, you don't like to pass uh, judgment on the on the character of someone, but man, he's he's developing a a, a string of incidents where, and, and you know, to be fair, this is this is a, a you know a lot of that sort of stuff in the past has been just costly, silly stuff that he does on the field. But if he's going to start to go down the path of getting involved with crazy off field stuff. Well, you know, I, I think he should be called out for it. So, um, you know, as I said, I think I think he's someone who gets a soft run in the media in terms of criticisms, and um, maybe maybe this might be a turning point. Either either a he pulls his head in, or b the media starts to rip in mm. when he's. Uh, making less than intelligent decisions. 
Yes, indeed. So now we turn our I-60s to the Women's Rugby League World Cup where we've had our two semis played. Now looking to the final in semi number one. This one, well, Australia 82 defeating Papua New Guinea 0. Absolute shellacking. It looks like the outside backs just feasted in this game. I, I see Davis, Kelly, Kelly, uh, uh, Pelote, Chisolka, Kelly, uh, Sergis, uh, Tonegato, 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 Chapman, uh, amongst all the try scorers there. 15 of them in total. Uh, Lauren Brown and Ali Briggishaw combining for 11 to 15 conversion attempts, so pretty sold there. Though I dare say most of those tries are probably scored closer to the sticks than further away. Uh, P&G, they had a good run in this tournament, 60s, but unfortunately they run into the juggernaut that is Australia, and this result, well, this is one, like you said, you don't want to predict these score lines, but this was certainly how the, the tail of the tape played it out. Yeah, and again, it's a case of just executing simple rugby league and the points just came. Mm-hmm. You don't always have to be throwing in lots of trick shots. These points these points came from just a, a team that it was far too good for their opposition, numbered up they were superior to the their opponent that they were facing. And unfortunately, it, it didn't matter what internal fortitude the PNG players may have had. They were just going to be smashed by a, a far superior team in terms of skills, in terms of athleticism, in terms of size. It was just... A complete mismatch, really. And in the other semi-final, the host nation, England, well, they didn't get blotted out like PNG, but they did lose 20-6 to to New Zealand. Uh, you got Hufanga, McGregor, Pule, and Clark scoring for the Kiwis. Francesca Goldthorpe scoring with Tara Jane Stanley converting. Appy Nichols going two from four for the Kiwis off the tee. Yeah, so this was a case of the two tournament sort of or pre-tournament favourites getting through their semi-final 60s and booking their date of destiny in the final. Uh, you know, in England, their infrastructure for Women's Rugby League just is behind what Australia and New Zealand have with the NRLW and with just the, the intranation competition that has been uh, fostered in the uh, the two ANZAC countries. Yeah, it, and it is such a, a major difference, isn't it, between the uh, the two nations. I mean, I I was under the impression that given that England were able to pick the eye teeth out of the the best rugby league players in their competition, I honestly thought that they would have, you know, a a better chance against the Kiwis. Uh, And and I wasn't, and I want to be very clear here, I, I wasn't putting down the the Kiwis in any way with that, but you know you've got you've got an English women's competition and you've got the NRLW competition. There is no uh, New Zealand team in the NRLW, so their team is relying on a combination of players that are playing in the NRLW and players that are still playing in a homegrown New Zealand competition. And I think to myself, well, you know, surely the the team that's playing in the in the English competition, where they're able to pick the the you know the very best of a of what you would imagine would be a stronger level competition than a New Zealand domestic competition, but no, nope. And what about uh, Melly Hafanga? 
the um, Kiwi Centre. Yep. <laughs> very, oh. very strongly built. Very strongly built. Oh, I, I knew nothing of her before this because yeah. she's come from that uh, that rugby background. But she's basically just gone bang, crash, wallop in this World Cup. Like a fish to water, uh, you know, cross-code convert. But, again, this is where the NRLW has a real chance to steal a march, uh, not just on rugby union, but just in the space of women's professional codes because uh, it, it is potentially going to be the most viable career path for a professional athlete outside of maybe the uh, the Big Bash, which is doing fairly well for the women too. Uh, so, yeah, the Hafunga is an absolute poster. Like, you, you put it up and celebrate it for the game because her success is success for the code. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and, and she's – I mean, what's her status going forward in terms of uh, – has she been picked up by – an NRLW club? Well, let me punch her into the old uh, Google machine and see how she comes up on news. No, she's so six hours ago on NRL.com. She's uh, always had my own rugby league, ready for NRLW move. So has she been linked to anyone? 28-year-old. I'm not seeing any club names here, but with expansion coming and 10 teams there, someone's picking her up. Yeah, uh, so. oh, they have to. They have to. If she's basically said, "Hey, um, here I am. Anyone interested in signing me?" So Broncos, yeah. Broncos have a link to her uh, via uh, Amber Amber Paris Hall, who was a close friend of hers, and has been trying to recruit her to rugby league for a long time. So yeah, I think the Broncos have the inside running. But with uh, all those teams coming in, because we've got the Cowboys, uh, West Tigers, Cronulla, and Canberra, I believe, off the top of my head. Uh, so we've got the four teams coming. Uh, yeah, someone's going to get her services and she could be a bit of a cult hero very quickly in the week-to-week yep. competition. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So how do you see this uh, women's final going, Forty. Uh, this feels like a case of Australia going to be fairly comfortably the favourites entering it. Uh, but uh, if New Zealand can sort of drag them into that sort of slobber knocker brawl, you know, get the forwards heavily involved, prevent Australia from shifting the ball easily and comfortably, it, it could, you know, sort of <clears throat> even out the odds a bit. But I think Australia should win, not in a canter, but maybe in the vicinity of like 12 to 18 points. I think one of the interesting things as far as um, Australia is concerned is that the coach has done a very good job of giving all the players that, you know, fairly substantial game time. And the downside could still be combinations. You look at uh, the New Zealand team and it's pretty much 1-17, to 17, off the top of my head, as close to that 1-17 to 17 of the team that played against England, the Australian team played a number of players in the semi-final against PNG because they obviously, uh, that that aren't playing in this final because they obviously felt comfortable with the strength of their squad in being able to uh, take on PNG without um, some of the players that were always going to play in the final. So... 
does is there a cost to pay in terms of combination? Well, that that would be sort of yeah one of the potential uh, levels, wouldn't it be? If uh, if New Zealand can have better team synergy, uh, better combination efficiency than Australia, who have the star power, no doubt, uh, then yeah, that could be what helps level the playing fields and gives New Zealand a chance to engineer the upset. Well, when they clashed early, it was a lot closer than. A lot of people thought, yeah, certainly a lot true. closer than what I thought. Yeah. I, I thought, I, I honestly believe that Australia was likely to win anywhere from sixteen to twenty points um, over New Zealand, and it, it didn't end up that way. And you know, Australia was arguably lucky to get out of that one, much as the, uh, 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 you know, similarly with the men's. And um, yeah, this, this is a game where I certainly wouldn't be upset at the upset. Uh, you know, to use some really poor English there. Uh, but I would not be frustrated or, or annoyed if the Kiwis got up for the win. This is very much good for the game, uh, you know, either way, but especially if the Kiwis can get the uh, underdog victory. Well, I'm going to be cheering for the Aussies, um, mostly because of the fact that obviously I'm an Australian. But secondly, uh, we've got our Paragirls there in Samoima and uh, Kennedy. So... I'll be I'll be cheering cheering them on, but um, yeah, like I was just looking at the uh, at the ins and outs, and Australia has uh, six outs, and uh, sorry, six ins I should say mm. into the team, and uh, New Zealand only has one new introduction into the team for the finals. So, yeah, I, I'm going to be watching for that aspect, that, as you said, the synergy within the team. So, um, okay, and so this let, one, let's... Well, let's just, just to put the, the wrap-ups on it, this one actually kicks off before the men's final 60s, which will take place tonight as of recording, uh, Saturday night, Sunday morning, 12.15, which I then believe the men kick off at 3 o'clock. So if you're willing yep. to stay up, there's a long night of football to be had. Okay, well, let's. I'm going to go now with uh, my uh, predictions. Uh, our, our predictions, I think, that we normally go with the uh, Parramatta each week. So, in the women's, mm-hmm. I'm going to take uh, Australia to win by 18 points. Um, Scoreline maybe 34 to 16, something like that. Um, first try scorer, Pelote. Mm-hmm. For Australia, and uh, the player of the match to be Taryn Aitken, um, and uh, yeah, and and as far as our para girls are concerned, I'm expecting the typical game from both of them. Just that that absolute workhorse effort from Samaima, and then the high energy input from Kennedy Cherrington, rem- reminding the uh, Kiwi girls that she's out on the field from the moment she, that she gets off the interchange bench. I know I said that the Aussies were two to three try favourites literally like two, three minutes ago, uh, but I will tip the upset here. Uh, I, I do want to see uh, a bit of a shake-up here, so I'll go 18-14 to the Kiwis, but I will have Australia scoring first via maybe one of the centres, maybe Brigginshaw or Kelly. Uh, who's listed on the wing here, but uh, I'll go I'll go with Kelly, first try scorer. Uh, best on field. Uh, it's going to be hard to go past Racy McGregor if the Kiwis are to win. Uh, but just trying to see who else could be. Yeah, I'll, I'll say McGregor. I mean, that's probably the safe pick there. 
Okay, and uh, as far as the the men's game is concerned, I see Australia winning by uh, twenty two points. Mm. I think the final score will be something like forty to eighteen in favour of Australia. With uh, look, no surprises here. I'm going for Ado Carr for the yeah, first try scorer. Very very good pick. Yeah, and I think that uh, I'm going to fly against the some of the discussion that we had before, and I'll select Nathan Cleary as best on field. And this is another one where the head obviously says that Australia win and win well, uh, but what's the fun in tipping Australia in a game like this? So I'm going with Samoa, uh, purely from the heart, purely from the heart. There is no logic to picking Samoa here, unfortunately. Uh, they're probably going to have to win tight again. Uh, maybe it'll be another Crichton field goal. So maybe Samoa 23, Australia 22. Uh, first try scorer. I will back uh, the Samoans to score first here. And it'll probably be maybe one of their forwards smashing over. So maybe maybe the captain will get over Junior Barlow. And then best on field, Junior Barlow. Sounds, <coughs> sounds like we're... Um Offering a little bit of something for everyone in those yeah, we, tips. We got, we got the reasonable tipster over there in your corner. We've got the lunatic over here. But, hey, <laughs> like I said, what's the fun in tipping Australia? <laughs> now, just before we wrap this up, uh, let's give a mention to the uh, wheelchair final where England got over France 28 to 24. Would you would you describe this? I mean, if we saw this scoreline comparatively in the NRL, NRLW 60s, which, you know, given the other scores we've seen in the well, wheelchair World Cup so far, this would probably be labelled one for the purists. Would that is that the wheelchair equivalent? One for the purists here, twenty eight, twenty four. Well, look, I've I've only watched the highlights of this, and you wouldn't say that it was one for the high for the purists on the highlights because the highlights were spectacular. Yeah, so just a high quality game but low scoring. Yeah, the and I. I you know, one where, let's face it, you had the high-scoring games in the wheelchair tournament because the attacking capabilities of teams like France and England were so far above their opposition, um, who who just struggled defensively to contain them. Um, but by virtue of that as well, the defensive capabilities of those top two teams were also equally strong because they were letting in relatively few points in such high-scoring matches. So when you, I recommend everyone at least watch the highlights because what you are going to see is some of the most spectacular plays that, like the sort of stuff where you just would not have associated it with wheelchair rugby league. I'm talking about uh, reversals of plays. Um, you know, runarounds, cutouts. Um, it's just spectacular stuff. And how some of these players get the ball down when they're charging, <laughs> you know, into the corner and diving for the try. It's just, it, it's amazing stuff. And um, the, I mean, the collisions, there was, there was one where the, uh, I think it was the, uh, was it the English... Um, I'm trying to think whether it was the England player that was going for the corner. Anyway, there was a, a collision out near the corner as the as the player was getting over. 
being, you know, carrying the ball um, to score and the defender just simply got in the way and the ball just went flying out of the hands. And it was, and you can see why, because it's just like a collision at top speed between uh, two demons in, in these wheelchairs, just uh, putting themselves, uh, you know, right out there. They're leaving, leaving nothing, leaving nothing out there for, um, you know, you couldn't, their coaches, their coaches, their supporters couldn't have asked for more. Uh, Look like uh, it, it's, it's the sort of, the highlights were such that I was thinking to myself, geez, the, the defensive plays must have been something else to stop more points being scored. Mm-hmm. That's all I can say. And there were penalty goals being taken. Yeah, I mean that's that's how high level high. the defense was. Yeah. 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 So when there were uh, penalties awarded, yeah, penalty goals, uh, kicks for goal were taken. So, um, yeah. Anyway, um, that this uh, next time we speak, we'll be wrapping up the men's the and, women's. Men's and, the, and the women's, mm-hmm. but that's that brings us to the conclusion of um, the world cup component of this podcast, mate. What, anything else that's floating around in the world of NRL before we get into um, a little bit on Parramatta? Well, tangentially to the world cup, uh, Joey Marno has been crowned the best player in international rugby league, the golden boot winner for 2022. Um, I don't think that's too unfair. Would you say 60s? He's been one of your favourite players for a long time. And I think the the fact that he, he can't even play fullback for his club level yet is the uh, the best fullback internationally sort of speaks to the absolute embarrassment of riches that the Roosters have. Yeah, yeah. He, he is – if Parramatta had the opportunity to snare any player from any team, he's top of the list for mm-hmm. me. Yeah, he is an absolute superstar and still hasn't reached his peak probably. Which is a scary part. So, yeah, if you're a Tricolors fan, obviously you're going to be adoring Manu getting better and better. And for the Kiwis, obviously he's been a huge, huge factor. Only other major NRL news sixties that I've seen around the traps was the big player swap between the West Tigers and the Newcastle Knights. David Clemmer heading to the uh, joint venture out of uh, I was about to say Belmore, but it's Leichhardt Balmain, sorry. And then Jackson Hastings going down or up, sorry, the freeway to Newcastle. Uh, the Newcastle Knights have long been uh, in pursuit of uh, the other halves uh, player at the West Tigers in uh, Luke, I'm, I'm having a break Brooks. Luke, Luke Brooks. Brooks. There we go. I got there. Sorry. It's Saturday morning. I'm out of, I'm out of it. But Luke Brooks. And, and I've almost erred their way into the right choice by, yeah. by virtue of the fact that the Tigers refused to release Luke Brooks for perhaps fear that he might actually be a good player at another club. I don't know why they're not releasing him, but this is like a – one of the most toxic marriages in, in rugby league that you can think of. Like, they just won't let him go. And he, he just doesn't perform for him on the other side. So, uh, but that is the the big, uh, not sorry, not only was that the big player swap, but both players signed extensions with their new clubs. I think both did a three-year uh, deal at the end of 2025. Uh, so, Clamour locked in long-term, likewise Hastings at Newcastle. Who made the, uh, given that they're, let's say they're on relatively even salaries. I don't know if that's true, 60s, but... Let's say they're on relatively even salaries because Clemmer was on big dollars at Newcastle. Who's the winner here? Is there a winner? Uh, which team is better off for the player swap and extensions? Um, well, I look at Jackson Hastings as arguably the best player in the West Tigers outfit. 
in certainly in terms of uh, what he produced when he was playing this year. I know he he, he had uh, some injury concerns, but you think going into a second season, he's going to be a lot more settled at the club, and instead they bring in Clemmer now. It's it's hard to draw a line when you're talking about players in different positions and you start to talk about the needs of the club. So we know Newcastle had a need around the halves. Um, evidently, the West Tigers don't have a need around the halves. That's, that's my head-scratching mm. moment because um, I, I think they've let go of their answer Especially when one of the other solutions in the halves, or one of the ways you would imagine would be one of their solutions in the halves, is also highly disgruntled at the club and Adam Dwahi. So Yeah, exactly. It's, look, there's been plenty of times over the last few years where West Tigers have probably left their supporters scratching their heads with the decisions that they've made. Um, I think this has been potentially one of the better recruitment decisions that the Newcastle Knights have made. Whether it is enough to turn their fortunes around, I don't know. Um, you know, the the Tigers did well in getting um, the likes of Papali'i and um, uh, Coruscant from uh, Penrith. I think Coruscant is... is he could be a bit of a game changer for them, but you just keep coming back to the halves and you go, you know what? As you said, Luke Brooks has been, what is it, 10 years? About that, yeah. And you think, like, at what point does someone say, look, he he's probably you know like regardless of whatever talent he's got, there are times when a partnership just doesn't work, and you'd have to say that on the on the balance of what's been produced over that decade, he's he hasn't been their no. answer. And and the theory that they're terrified that he might go elsewhere and succeed, and then the indictment of that then becomes on their club is the, the thing holding them back from releasing him sort of grows and grows in my opinion because this is a, a partnership that needs to be separated. Like they need to terminate this for Brooks as a player and for the club with the reporter cap money that he is on. I, I just, I am absolutely baffled that they've consistently rebuffed not just Newcastle but any team, whether it's the Dolphins or any other franchise that has approached them in regards to his services. Yeah, and you compare that to say, a club like the Roosters who had a representative player there in Mitchell Pierce, and when the opportunity came to move him on to, because they had the chance to get Cooper Cronk, they basically didn't hesitate. It was... And it's like that saying about, um, you know, a player finishing a season too early rather than a season too late. They moved on a player 
be it a season or two too early rather than being a, a season or two too late. Um, and I just think 10 years is plenty of time yeah, for a player to, exactly. to, to show it. And, and, you know, there was all the criticism that used to be there for Mitch Moses at the West Tigers, but, he, like, he's, he's shown how beneficial it, it was for his career in moving to Parramatta. And it was probably going to be beneficial for Luke Brooks to move on from the West Tigers. And it was probably going to be beneficial for the West Tigers if he moved on. So, um, yeah. And I believe that is pretty much all the important non-Parramatta NRL news, mate. And there's not much to talk about with the Blonde Gold this week in the headlines, which is always, I suppose it's a good and bad thing, right? Because it means there's no negative stuff happening, but it also means there's no big bombshells in a positive way. But there was a little bit of... Uh, junior news, uh, four players selected to the Future Blues or uh, was it the just the Junior Blues? They've, they've changed this name a lot from Future Blues, Junior Blues and whatnot. But four Eels selected, Blaze Talungi, Ethan Sanders, Sam Torvati and Charlie Geimer, four players that were very well acquainted with 60s and no surprises among the four of them. No, no, none whatsoever. Uh, most recently we had Sam Torvati who was named the Parramatta Reels Junior Player of the Year across the junior club competition. And uh, we've also seen um, Ethan and uh, Blaze have their own headlines as well. Uh, Ethan uh, and – well, Ethan and Sam uh, were selected for Australia with the Australian schoolboys team. Uh, We also had, um, as I said, Ethan's – was had a very good season last year in the Jersey flag. I'm expecting to see uh, him uh, show up in New South Wales Cup during the year this year. And uh, Charlie Geimer is, well, he, he's just a powerhouse runner yeah. of the football. He's um, very hard to handle out in the centres. I wouldn't be surprised at all that if at some stage he was playing back row. Um, but all all of those particular players have been involved in the uh, getting a bit of time in the Eels NRL preseason. They've um, and so I can sort of segue a little with that. <laughs> uh, a number of a number of those boys, um, as I said, there there's well probably about uh, what must it be? It must be about fourteen, fifteen. These young young blokes that are uh, had been doing the eels preseason. Um, now that the flag preseason has started, they've dropped back to that level for the probably the at least a half of the week. They're still getting a bit of time with the NRL coaches, uh, one or two days a week at, at Kellyville. Um, but, yeah, it's a very bright future at the club with a number of these players who you'd like to think, based on what we've seen so far, that they will have um, big NRL careers ahead of them. But as we as we note from time to time, this, um, you know, that transition from, uh, you know, a, a star at the junior level, it's an inexact science. Yeah, there are it? no guarantees exactly, an imprecise science at best, especially when you're looking on the outside like we are 60s and you don't have insights into their character and to how they handle preparation and, and critique and review and all the games, like sort of the film study and game study that happens 
and on the professional level. So we're we're sort of making educated but inaccurate guesses as fans and clubs even then are still there goes my um Seymour. Uh, uh even clubs are still sort of making to a degree just a, a very educated guess because making that jump from junior star to full time NRL star is massive. And and this is where the time that they get with the NRL uh, coaches in a pre-season and uh, prior to that with the NRL coaches in the Jets program tries to take away some of that guesswork where they get to see how they do react to the bigger demands placed on them with higher standards at training. Uh, they see what sort of character they've got in terms of being able to put uh, effort on effort. You know, the, those sort the the effort plays are what really counts for a lot. I I mentioned it briefly in this week's training report, but when you see them training for something like uh, you know goal line defence, try line defence, um, there's elements of that where it's the effort of individual players and their ability to communicate with the person next to them is just as important as any defensive structure and system that's in place. And when you see them training for it, you can also you also know that they're looking for the players who just go that extra yard in terms of the effort they put in to to stop the opposition. So, yeah, as I said, you try to take away some of that guesswork by yeah. these sorts of opportunities and they're getting at least one field session a week with the senior squad, the senior coaches, and hopefully what that means is it, it translates into more pathways players being bre- better prepared. And, and shout out to all the young uh, players that have been involved in the pre-season training because you'd have to say, just based on looking at their efforts in the conditioning work, that they've absolutely done their utmost to turn up prepared and ready because we've seen at different times over the years when players haven't turned up ready for the pre, for an Eels pre-season and they really waste the opportunity that presented to themselves when that happens because they can be sent packing. And you it's know, not like to say there's not going to be stragglers in any given sort of group of kids, 60s, but that's the importance of creating a club culture where the standards are held so high and the expectation is if you're going to be an elite member of the pathways and a potential NRL prospect, you will hold yourself to these athletic standards. And we're seeing that more and more. There are, you know, outliers here and there, you know, the guys that just don't have the the makeup mentally to put themselves in a position to succeed. But increasingly, uh, entire classes of our prospects meet these physical requirements. Yeah. The other interesting thing is you can sometimes see when you get new recruits, ones that have come from a club mm-hmm. that has the places high standards. Yeah, lacks the standards in Parramatta or has standards that match Parramatta. Exactly, exactly. So uh, when when you see recruits that come in that uh, are right up there fitness-wise and then recruits that come in that are a bit behind fitness-wise, um, yeah, especially if they're, if they're experienced or they've been around in, the, in a club system for a while – if they arrive and they and they struggle, I, I probably 
am a bit more forgiving of them because perhaps they don't know any, they don't have um, any other uh, experience yeah, to go by in to terms of being exactly. ready. Yep. And that, and it's, that was uh, the standard that they'd known the entire time as a professional that's footballer. It. That's it. That's yeah. it. So um, I'm probably less forgiving of, uh, of of players that come through our own system because they know via these introductions like jet squads and um, and the lower grades and what and and the standards that they get told that they have to meet once they hit that NRL level that um yeah that they need to be prepared and and as i said credit to all the young blokes that have fronted up for this pre-season because uh as far as conditioning's concerned they're right up there so full credit to them there um i've got the report as i mentioned has gone up this morning the training report uh just yeah. as an aside uh had the opportunity this week to welcome uh, Trent Barrett to the club, so was introduced to Trent, um, to Steve Antonelli. Uh, Steve has actually done some sessions and, and a bit of work with the club in the past. So in a way, it was almost like a, a welcome back there. Um, same with Nathan Kalis, was able to welcome him back to the to the uh, the club this week. I mentioned in the training report, uh, Zach Sini is now mulletless. Uh, so uh, people will have to get used to Zach without that trademark uh, party out the back <laughs> that he had with his mullet. All business and, in 2023, uh, sir. Yeah, I, I said to him, you know, what's what's the story with the mullet, mate? And he goes, no, nah, it's all business this year. And um, anyway, I said, well, yeah. someone else said to him, well, you know, bit more streamlined, more aerodynamic. And uh, I said to him, "Did it?" I, I asked him whether it helped him with the M runs that they <laughs> had. To do. And he was like, yeah, no, nothing helps with that. You know, it's just hard work. So, um, yeah, anyway. Uh, and then there'd been a lot of questions that had been asked about what was happening with Nathan Brown, the coach, because there was the stories floating around that he was going to be returning to the Dragons or potentially returning to the yeah, Dragons. Yeah, we spoke about it on the podcast. Yeah. So um, anyway, I had a had a meeting at uh, Kellyville, uh, a Pathways meeting, and uh, when I was uh, when I was there waiting for the meeting to start, I decided I'd go. I'd just wander over to Nathan Brown and introduce myself, and uh, to him and to uh, Jamie Shepherd. And uh, spoke to them a little bit about uh, what, uh, seeing as though they'll be there at the uh, at the junior reps, and uh, we hadn't met them as yet. And uh, people that are familiar with the Cumberland Throw know all the work that we do around our coverage with the junior reps, and that coverage, you know, it well for people who are less familiar, it's not just the. Um, the broadcast of the junior uh, junior reps via our via your live blogs forty, but we've been invited to be part of junior uh, the junior reps jersey presentations. We've been there um, as part of uh, captains runs for finals, and um, you know we've had quite a strong involvement with the junior reps. So I thought it would be appropriate to take that opportunity to uh, introduce the Cumberland throw 
uh, to Nathan and to Jamie. And, um, yeah, so that was um, very timely to be able to get that because we're not too far away, really, from the first of the trials in the junior reps. And before we know it, their pre-season is going to be at the business end and the their games will be starting. So, um Obviously, Nathan Nathan Brown he's um, he, he's he's there entrenched in the job now, getting things done. So um, the rumours and the thoughts floating around that he was uh, as soon as he came in the door, he was going to go straight out the door uh, uh, would would not be uh, terribly well founded because he was um, he was there on the job uh, at Parramatta. Yeah, the job <laughs> on the job when I was there on uh, on Friday. So. Um, yeah, so that was um, that was the other part of Friday, just to report on. So I think that I think that pretty much covers things. I'm expecting. Oh, this week we saw the first of um, a few players, Tony Mattaelli, uh, return to um, to training. Um, we had oh, Zach Sini, of course, was was back at training. So that was that was something. Um, He had a he had a bit of a, a a niggling injury, but he seems to be okay with um, with that uh, by the end of the week because he was doing all the M runs, so there wasn't anything um, significant. I don't think um, we saw Matt Dury uh, in a session this week. Um, who else? Uh, Luca Moretti. Yeah. So it was. Um, we're in. I think we're going to see more of the New South Wales Cup-level players probably in the next week or two. And then the start of December, we'll see the NRL players return to the training fields. And, of course, then not uh, we won't, it won't be till January before we see the um, NRL World Cup players. Yep, and uh, that's probably a nice place to start rounding out the podcast 60s. Uh, Eels, they're ramping up slowly in the run the Christmas as we sort of ramp down. Uh, and I was thinking about this actually. In a funny way, your weekly training reports on TCT and in the podcast are kind of like the equivalent of the TCT advent calendar. You know, we sort of just <laughs> inch, inch closer and closer to that uh, big old day at the back end of December. And with your reports, we can sort of mark it off each week. Yes, well, at the moment I'm going with the weekly reports because there's a there's probably just a core group. There's a core group of around 12 to 14 players that are there every day, it it jumps up to you know, probably about 25, 26 players when the uh, the young flag, uh, Jersey flag and SG ball players are, are doing, uh, getting their involvement mm-hmm. uh, with the squad. But until the, the NRL players are there, it's probably, um, you know, a bit of... Um, I suppose it's we're we're looking at it at best summed up in a weekly report until then, and then when we start to get some of the NRL players back, we'll look at uh, two to three reports per week with yeah. the preseason training, and uh, we'll start doing a few profiles. Uh, you've got the part two of mm-hmm. your uh, pathways, yeah, those players that we actually players. spoke about in the junior blue squad or feature, alongside yep. plenty of others. 
Yep. So um, there'll be plenty coming up on uh, TCT. You'll start to see as we get closer to Christmas, a few more posts getting up. And then, of course, uh, come January, it'll be um, even more so. It's and we'll be leading the up to with, the uh, stuff next year, it feels like, because we'll have a, the full suite of junior rep stuff to talk about. We'll have the NRLW, the NRL, uh, which I feel like the competitions just start earlier and earlier with the senior football now. So, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. So, uh, mate, we we started off this podcast with uh, not much to talk about, but I'm I'm figuring we've gone pretty close to the hour. Yeah, we've we've gone over an hour, hour and a four. So we we could make uh, uh, we talk about the uh, the old adages, but we could make a mountain out of a molehill. I feel like um, with the way <laughs> we talk about stuff. So yeah, it's, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, it's, absolutely. It's a, I, don't, I don't know if it's a gift or a curse or somewhere in between that, mate. But we can certainly yap. And uh, talk and talk and talk. But if you do enjoy yeah. listening to it, we do appreciate it. So as always, thanks for stopping by and giving us a bit of a, uh, was it, a listen to our chin waggling. And we'll catch you guys on the next episode where we're going to break down the World Cup finals and the men's and women's and then maybe have a bit of NRL news, hopefully, to talk about. You know, who knows, though? Yeah. Uh, and, and, of course, until then, mate, go you wheels. Yes, sir. <laughs>